Good evening fellow morons, how are we on this unusual Tuesday night for us to be streaming? All good, good thanks. That's it, spacing it up, not that we had uh, other plans and some of us hadn't watched all the movies, but we won't talk about the person that we cannot see on the screen at the moment. There is only four of us on the screen just now, but it is five of us, we do have the voice from above with Sean, Uh, he is the higher power of the, the group anyway so um that makes sense to have his voice coming in over the top uh this week guys we are in here to talk about uh burnsy's choices plus a bonus additional movie so burnsy can you just remind us what your choices were for this week that won through the instagram vote yeah uh the first one was Gone Girl, which I watched at the start of lockdown. This is my second time watching this. And Pulp Fiction was the second one, which I thought I had watched. It turned out I hadn't. So that was nice and refreshing for me. <laughs> oh, that's a good start, though. You've never even seen the film. You think you've seen it, uh, but no. you've not. You've not. Uh, I, <laughs> so Gone Girl and Pulp Fiction. And the additional movie that we had assured you guys we were going to watch was um, The Fall in Our Stars, which was Sarah's choice from when we did Partners Week. We still do have one movie to come uh, for the final partner to be watched and reviewed, which we will be doing hopefully next week. Um, I think I thought our stars was a really good way to and good place to start off. I did gather Sarah's thoughts on the movie as well, so we can put them back to you before we talk about it. Um, but before we go into the movie itself, just to give a little update to the scores on the leaderboard from last week, because we had some big, big changes. Can we remember? New number one. New number one. There we go. We have a new number one. So the movies that we reviewed last week were Terminator 2, Judgment Day and Goodfellas. Terminator <laughs> coming in at a 4.33 and Goodfellas coming in at a 4.79. Uh, so as the fellas just said there, we had some changes to the leaderboard. So today, give you a quick rundown of what that is. You'll see that on the screen right now. In 10th place, we have Terminator 1, followed by No Country for Old Men, or Burnsy favourite. Then in comes Jaws, Fight Club, then Terminator 2, so Arnie making a double appearance in this top 10. The Wolf of Wall Street, and knocked down out of the top 3, we do have The Shawshank Redemption. This making our top three with a 4.6 being seven. At second place, we have Parasite that has been at the top ever since we started streaming. So it's finally been knocked down a peg on 4.65. And our brand new number one, which is Goodfellas. So that is our top ten movies. Let me just put this back into the right screen. Now, I don't know if we're in any danger of creating a new movie into the top 10, um, as we can see with some of the reactions from the boys on the screen. But The Fault in Our Stars is a movie that came out in 2014. It is rated a 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb. This is two teenage cancer patients beginning a life-affirming journey to visit a reclusive offer in Amsterdam. So, before we go in and discuss it, I'd just like to share Sarah's thoughts for it. Uh, and I was quite chuffed she gave, she gave us a fair old novel, so it goes above the half a sentence that Ellie gave us when <laughs> describing her movie, and I hope she's not listening so I didn't get in trouble Before for you it. Go on, she was, uh, I was getting in trouble for that because she said, you only told me to give you a sentence. I was like, nah, never. And then she forwarded me the message. I was like, I just three sentences. <laughs> <laughs> that was my last <laughs> 
So that is absolutely your fault, but we'll blame Ella for it anyway. Why not? Why not? Uh, okay, so guys, sit back and listen in. Uh, so Sarah's thoughts. I find this film to be real, relatable and raw. I think it perfectly captures the emotion and impact cancer has in a family and shows the pain of living uh, with such a horrible condition. Compared <clears> to the book, there's a lot of detail left out, mainly around Hazel's mum's forced energy, as it isn't as intense in the book. Also, the journey of Isaac losing his second eye and conversations Hazel has with him in the hospital and the story of Gus playing basketball at a successful level and then finding out that he's going to lose his leg, therefore comes an end to his basketball career. Uh, I think that if these were added into the film, it would have helped you bond more with the other characters, and not only Hazel and Gus, but also in the same turn, they need to make this a bit that make sure there is a light-hearted scenes to balance out the sadness. When it comes to Hazel, she's amazing when reading the book. This is who I would imagined Hazel looking like, sounding like, and acting like. So we're talking about uh, Shailene Woodley there. Um, her most powerful scenes for me were receiving the news that Gus had passed away and reading out Gus's actual eulogy in front of him and Isaac. Gus uh, perfectly captured a young male with a huge ego that is in denial that his life has been taken away from him out of his own control. I think with Gus you can see that there's an un unstable approach to losing his battle with cancer, but as a viewer you see his journey and see him find some peace in what he'd achieved in his life. Um, I think the film is a teenage romance with a dark undertone, but a very real one that can affect families um, all over the world daily. And we all, Sarah also wanted to add in there that she does appreciate that this is not typically a movie that any one of us would choose to sit down and watch. Uh, this is a, a specific genre when it comes to uh, a romance, um, a sadness movie, and the, the type of books that people that would, would purchase for these as well. Um, I just want to go into my thoughts though as well on the movie, right? I've seen this quite a few times and especially the, the subject of cancer which is something that's really close to home uh, in particular lung cancer so I find this quite an emotional movie to watch um, I think it is sad uh, a lot of it rings true for me as somebody who's like I say got cancer in the family who's also got kids as well and trying to put yourself into the position of what um, what they're going through um, I think the parents are really really interesting from Hazel's point of view because they do live in like a, a pure denial of what's going on with her life and the mum is is really over over the top with her and essentially still treats her like a really young kid and is not letting her see through the rest of her life and one of the scariest scenes for me on it is when she's talking about how, how Hazel's telling her mum that she remembers her saying in the hospital that she's not going to be a mum anymore and for me, at the time when I watched this, I think, fuck, that's a really, really selfish way to look at it. Um, that your daughter's going through this horrible condition at the moment that she's got, and all you can think about is how it's going to change for you and not living in the moment for that sense. Um, I think what Sarah was saying about the two main characters for for for, for Gus and Hazel, I, I love Gus. I think Gus is class. As much as he's... And I don't know how to describe his personality. He's a, a really, really over the top personality, but I think it ties in with the ties in with the behaviours of someone who's panicking about what's going on with him. I feel like I've spoken a lot, though, guys. I'm going to start letting you come in. Um, I, I, I feel a bit bad, but um, <laughs> no, similar, right? I, I do, I do, because like similar to you, um, like I've had cancer in my family, my most people know my dad died of cancer. Um, I also have children, like yourself, Kyle. Um, but the 
seems should kind of run like it should be something that hits home for me. Um, and obviously, I mentioned earlier on, you were saying maybe this isn't something that we would normally watch or read, but I love sad movies. Like, I love being sad. I'm one of these folk. I'm a big softy. I cry stuff all the time, man. Uh, but I, I think this does for sad movies what, like, Fifty Shades of Grey does for romance. Like, I just think this is, like, porn for sadness. It's just, like, here's a sad scene, then here's a sad scene, then here's a sad scene. Like, there's no chance for you to build up, like, or any sort of emotional crescendo for me. We, it starts off with going, hey, I've got cancer. And then you're like, oh, hey, I've got cancer too. And it's like, oh, here's a issue with your cancer. Now there's an issue with her cancer. And now you're can go. Now you not able to go to Amsterdam. And then when you get to Amsterdam, that's shite. The guy's a wanker. And then you have a really nice moment. Oh, but he's now going to die. And then all oh, the guys with the eyes. And then he's sad again. And it, 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 there's never enough let up for me. I mean, this is like, do you know a lot of people watch like Hostel and they just think it's like gratuitously too much violence? Mm. I think this is far too, like it's just, I don't know, it just feels like it's just, there's nothing real about it. There's nothing really sentimental about it for me because it's just like, it, it seems to me like a thing purely designed to get people to cry. And I think because of that, like the dialogue's really sort of unnatural for me and it just seems to have shoehorned in every single possible Sad part. See what they decided with the book, how you maybe get a build up of his basketball career, then he loses his leg. Maybe you get a chance to get invested in something with a bit of story yeah. like that, but I think the way the movie does it, it just goes straight to like boom, 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 sad, sad, sad. Um, I, I did find the whole Amsterdam bit a bit boring. I think for us as well, because we live in Europe, it's not that exciting to go, like, they spent 25 minutes on Frankfurt almost. Like, <laughs> It's not that exciting. I've gone down the canal and all that. But um, I, I did find it very difficult to invest in the characters. I, I thought that ultimately it, it maybe had about as much emotional effect as it like a John Lewis had, but like, it, it just seemed really like, manufactured to me. And it, I, you know what? I did like so I'm going to say something nice with it. Um, I felt like you see the sex scene where like, they lose their virginity. I felt like that felt quite real. Mm. Um, it was really good. Uh, it felt like a genuine, that was quite a nice emotional part of it. But then five minutes later, he was dying again. So, I mean, this is all really. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I do get it. I get why people like it. And I think see if you're really into sad movies and that's your thing, I sort of get it because this is like the ultimate of that. It's just like a full two hours of it. But for me, like, I love, say, The Green Mile. The Green Mile takes you up and then down and then up and then down slowly. Ultimately, brings you to a big, huge crescendo at the end of fucking Apologize. Um, or even cartoons like The Land Before Time and that get me more than this. I just feel like it's too much <laughs> in your face. So maybe, like, a, a little bit less on the, 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 the cancer side of it, maybe a bit more in the characters. Very similar to what we were saying about the... Like the basketball career, understand? Like I thought the the character of Isaac who lost his eyes was a really interesting character in the relationship. That he had with his missus and throwing eggs and stuff, and then he just kind of gets put to the side while the rest of it goes on. So yeah, maybe a bit more into other people would have made it a bit, a bit of a. No, so much less of the cancer. It was more like maybe like the cancer. You've got you're obviously aware that it's there. Like you see movies like this before where someone's unwell or like you know that they're dying slowly and. It's quite like, you ever see Philadelphia? No. Mm -hmm. No one, I, right, okay, so Philadelphia, 
character dying slowly of age, right? And that is the background to the whole movie, right? But in reality, you're following his actual life journey, whereas this just seems to be showing you all the cancer bits. Like, you never get enough, I don't think you get enough time to seeing them just being happy or just having normal days. And though you were saying about the relationship with the mum, like, I never saw the mum as being overbearing. All that I saw was the daughter telling her she was being overbearing all the time. Like, she would say a little thing, like, saying, have your dinner. I mean, it's not a big fucking deal. Have your dinner before you go out. And then she's like, what are you going to do when I'm not here? You're just going to, like, fuck it. It was too mentally extreme for me. Um, I, I just felt, I found it very difficult to find it. I also, I also thought, like, just to talk about the, the parents, like, I, I thought when I watched it, last time that I watched it, that the dad was really, really reserved and quiet and stuff. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, is that because the mum is a bit more over the top and being overbearing that he has to be that bit more stand backish? And then you take the scenes, for instance, when they go to Amsterdam and they come back, and he's like incredibly emotional that they've come back because of it in this trip that theoretically they shouldn't have even been on. Um, I feel like the dad, we could have had a lot more for the dad when it came to the actual film itself. I don't really think you get to know much about any of the characters. Like, uh, you don't really get much about any of them. I don't even know. Like, you get the guy who died. What's his name again? Face. Yeah. Um, he says at the start, oh, I want to be remembered, like, forever. As, like, a hero or whatever, right? But then you never get to see him, like, doing anything attempt to be that. Or, like, what what was his ambition to achieve that? Or, do you mean, so he just says it at the start, and at the end he goes, oh, I didn't do that. And then he would, but not, there was nothing in the, like, Normally in a movie like this, give you, he would have had a dream that he wanted to achieve that was maybe taken away from him. And maybe, like you said, I don't know about this, in the book there's the whole basketball story. And maybe if there was the idea that he was aspiring to be a professional or whatever it was, that would have given me a bit more investment in that. But I just, everything just felt quite so away. Maybe this would have been better as an eight-episode TV series or something, if it's a lot, if it's a full book. Yeah. I think yeah. it's just condensed. And the bits they've kept in of the story are just like, they just kept in all the sad bits. No. Just, just before we move on to someone else, I forgot to actually ask Sarah for her score out of five. So you pop it in the chat or send me it in a text, Sarah. You need to give me that before we get to the end of talking about it. But, um, Hunter, do you want to go next for me, please, mate? Let me know your thoughts on right, the Faulkner stuff. Yeah, I will, um, as I say, when I was setting myself up for watching this, I tried to fully immerse myself in the sad movie experience. It was... A tub of Halo Top, because I'm watching my waistline, it wasn't Ben and Jerry's. I got myself a bucket, and I stuck myself in, ready to watch this. And somewhat of what Diane said, oh, it's just sad as fuck all the way through it. Like, there's no break from it. Like, I mean, I hold my head up, I didn't cry during it, but you could feel emotion going through it. I just say that it would be, I can understand what Sarah said, it would be quite raw, it does hit home with some of the points as well. But I just felt like non-stop. Like, there was no... Sometimes you, you see other sad films, even in a similar category, where there's a bit of comedic... Maybe the, the throwing the eggs at the hoosies, that was it, but you're talking about one scene out of the whole film that isn't basically someone dying or heartbreaking eulogies or anything like that. It was, there was just no break from it. And uh, I would come up, what I would say is... Willem Dafoe's character is basically just the same guy who plays in the Mr. Bean movie. <laughs> just this eccentric guy <laughs> living in Europe who's a bit of a prick. That's I thought it. he was brilliant. I thought he was brilliant, Willem Dafoe, in it. 
That's so funny, Hunter. I actually thought doing the... I just thought Willem Dafoe looked like he was in a different movie and acted like he was in a completely different movie to everybody else. That was, that was the Dean movie. The Dean goes on holiday. That was it. Oh, that's done me, that's done me, Hunter. I, I, I honestly I haven't even seen that, so I didn't, I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, I recommend that. <laughs> exactly. I, I can understand why, if you maybe read the book, you'd be a bit more emotionally involved in it with the characters. You don't need those gaps filled in, which obviously the film has just skimmed over. And just gone straight in for pow, pow, pow. Here's everything that's gone wrong in such a short space of time. And But on top of that as well, again, similar to what Sarah said, it's, it's definitely not a film I would ever go to. Maybe it's because I've got a very darkened soul and I don't feel the need to let out a greet every once in a while. <laughs> just when my but I, I want somebody else. Come and shine some more positivity on the film, please. Well, will we come to the voice from above and see what his thoughts were? Because I believe he watched this today. I watched it today after my work. Pretty much not very much different to say apart from... Sorry, I can't talk. I've not got a lot different to say. Sorry, I can't communicate in English today, guys. (laughs) I've not got much more different to say than what's already been said. Uh, it just tries too hard to be sad. It's like uh, it's wanting you to basically be really upset and cry the whole way through the film. As Daniel said as well, like there isn't like a build up, like you don't see them being happy. Because if you've seen like a build up of somebody being really really happy and then the world came crashing down, you you would you know what I mean you would feel sad for them. But there's absolutely none of that. It's just like bleak after bleak after bleak scene. Uh, and obviously like the the whole kind of thing with the cancer and stuff like that, it's its like prevalent in every single scene. And I, 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 it's just too, it's just too, it's just too sad. And for me, like it just makes it, it just has like less of an effect on me when every scene is just like overbearingly like sad and stuff like that. Uh, I, I, I didn't like the characters. Uh, is, is it Gus? Is that his mm-hmm. name? Yeah. He was just a... F- I just, I really didn't like him at all. I thought it was really annoying. He's got far too much uh, personality for you, though, Sean. I, I like my people just to, to be quite mundane, like Father Stone. But even then, like, it was just kind of like, like just too, just, just really annoying. Uh, I, she. I have no idea what age this uh, the main last she was. I don't even know her, her, her real name. She looked about thirty five. She was playing like a teenager and that. She was she like hundreds and hundreds of wrinkles. And this wasn't really believable for me at all. That like these were two teenagers who been dealt with one of the world's shittest hands and stuff like that. And I just found it really really just soppy at, at bits. And I know it's like a teenage love story and stuff like that, but totally no my thing. And I just. I, 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 I say I feel bad for not liking it because obviously Sarah wanted us to watch it, but it's just no matter kind of at all. So I don't really know what else to say other than I just I didn't like it at all. It didn't even make me sad, which is probably the worst part of it. Like it, it genuinely didn't even make me sad because it was just overbearing how how much they were trying to make you sad. It felt like it was just constant. Poor Shailene Woodley, 23-year-old, doing this movie, and Sean's got her wrapped up at 50. 
no way she's 23, man. She looks about 30 odd. <laughs> Mid 30s. Oh, that's unbelievable. She's, tw- she's tw- 29 now. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. I'm older than her. Jesus. <laughs> with, a, with an awful lot more wrinkles, I'd like to add. Um, to back up Sean's point, like the, about the guy being annoying, like Gus, he was he annoyed the fuck out of me as well because, like, nothing he said felt like anything a real human being would say. Aye, like, I, that's what I'm trying to say. Aye, aye, like see from the very first interaction with each other, it just sounds like he's reading something off a script. Yeah, all cue basically. Aye, like a very overly elaborate script that like a student had done. You know what I mean, like, it's just like. Lame. And the bit where they were throwing the eggs at the house, and then the, uh, the wee mall wife comes out, and then he's like saying, We've got like what, f- f- four legs, two eyes, oh, this half along between us. I, I think you should just go back. And that just would not happen in, in, in real life. Like, it's just that. I don't know. Really. I'm I'm I just think that it's in the world that shit like that happens in America, and just no here. Uh, well, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I've seen a lot of videos, man. The cops would have been arresting all three of them and pepper spray their faces. That would have been drive-bys. Well, we won't go to the subject of drive-bys, but let's bring Burns in and get some of his thoughts in there, known as the emotional one of the group. Um, When I read the synopsis, I kind of thought I would really like this film, Um, but no, it's just... I think it's it's kind of just touching all the points you have made before, is that there needs to be like a build-up to get you emotional, I think. You can't just be expected to be sad for two hours or however long the film was, but just put the film as if it was trying its intention. So I agree with Daniel and Sean about uh, Gus. Like, start to finish, he just drove me up the wall. Like, he just came across as really, like, arrogant, up himself, condescending, and, like, even just silly things. Hazel Grace, that was just like, I was just like, you're just a knob, like, go and just, like, <laughs> he just, every time he was on the screen, I just wanted him off the screen, basically, um, and the bit, the bit, good bits about the film was, I thought um, Hazel's act and uh, Charlene Woodley was really good throughout it, I thought she was kind of, obviously it was only her and Gus that was in the film for the vast majority of it, um, Isaac, Gussie's friend, I thought he was quite funny at stages as well. Um, he like maybe it would have been better if he was more involved in the film because, like you say, he just kind of got tossed to the side after being quite involved in the start of the film. Um, I didn't really like the trip to Amsterdam and that. I just didn't really add anything to the film and all the all the stuff about the book. I think what um, obviously I've not read the book, but what Sarah touched on about how there was parts that was missed out. What she's saying, if there was those parts added on, it would have made me enjoy the film better. But I just, I just struggled to even look at. I felt a bit like Hazel when she was getting upset towards the end about Gus dying and that. Like that was a bit emotional, but at the same time, because I thought Gus came across as such an absolute tool throughout it, mm-hmm. then I was kind of like, well. At least you'll meet somebody better now that he's away. For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> hell, man. I was I was trying to go on a bit like easy and light on it. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, dear. oh dear. Just to touch on a, a little scene that's missing from me as part of my trivia that a scene that's in the book that's absent from the movie is that Gus and his mum are engaged in a really explicit shouting match. This would have taken place directly before Gus and Hazel were seen at the airport going to Amsterdam. 
um, and it involves information about um, Gussie's cancer relapse that yeah. Hazel doesn't know about and stuff, which would have been, a, I think, such a good scene to add in because yeah. all the points you have touched on about Gus being a frustrating character to watch, add that little bit of realism in there that he's a person, not just five million metaphors. Because he was just probably... only, it was only on screen when he was with Hazel, obviously. So, like, maybe just a bit of him without being with her might have actually felt that actually the character might have came across better because maybe, like, he's off, maybe he has just got to an act and he's trying to protect her. But to me, by not telling her, I was kind of like, well, he should have actually been more open and honest. But if you actually saw the struggles that he was going through himself, then that may have made you actually feel sympathetic towards him because because that was completely missed out and it was kind of like you could it was as if he, he could have just known the full time and it was kind of like I just want to bother telling her and wouldn't actually care whereas if you'd actually saw that the struggle he was having then he might have came across a lot better um, and made it, whereas before it was, it was it was just as if it was a big a lot of it seemed as if it was a big act like the way one, the things he was saying in terms of how written it was, but also, like, his facial expressions and stuff like that. Um, I think, like, a big improvement would have been if the character of Gus was um, better than what it was in the film. Um, by that, that would also why his, why his family went there. Because, like, it was his yeah. make a list and his, his mom and dad didn't get to go. Like, that, would, that was one of the things I, I thought straight away. It's like, where's his mom and dad? He's too... Yeah. Well, it's his wish. His <laughs> fucking wish. Uh, Auntie's just had a cancer relapse, eh? So has he no need in medical care or whatever when he's over there as well? Whereas obviously he didn't mention it to her, but like his family would have known this. If obviously like you're saying, Kill in terms of in the book how it's mentioned, so like what do they just know are they just no bored in terms but of I think I think that's the whole thing in the me. book is that the argument I'm I'm guessing here that would be themed around about him actually going and being a part of this trip and that would have been a bot yeah, a big no, basically. Probably a good fucking chapter long within a book that would. Again, uh-huh. you, could have, you could have had a three to four minute scene with that in this movie, and that would have tied in really, really well. Um, mm-hmm. Just, yeah. just any, guys, just before I jump into some some, some trivia, there's there anything else we want to add or thoughts? No, I mean I, I really do agree with the last point you've just made. So I think that's quite a glaring aspect of what we've all been saying is that see what good storytelling. See if we know that he's conflicted and we know as a viewer that he's had a relapse, he's got cancer again, and then you're waiting for her to find out. Mm-hmm. That's a much better way of doing it. Whereas <clears throat> he just it just it was just so flat, like you, you didn't even feel bad. It was just it was strange. It just it came, it came across as strange. I wasn't even sure if he was telling the truth. <laughs> like oh, I, I thought it was, I thought it was, built, I thought it was up to him saying I wasn't actually a virgin mm-hmm. breaking her heart. Oh. Because there was no hint about his cancer anywhere. So the only thing that had been happening through the wee circle with the virgin and him not being a virgin anymore. Um, and <laughs> I thought that he was going to break her heart that way and say, oh, actually, I was shagging somebody else beforehand. But uh, I... But I didn't when he was saying about how that was his first time cause, because he just came across, like, completely different. I, it was you just, see with that scene with the, the little dawn with this thing when... Uh, the impression I got for that was he shot his shot, he shot too early and it never quite got the job done, which is why he was on the line rather than out with the circle. Yeah, I, 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 I
Oh. Burnsy would have been looking for that third person to come into the mix to work out she's pregnant. <laughs> she's pregnant. They didn't know who it is. Vera Famigas came into the equation somehow as well. Uh, Burnsy would have been, been pregnant. Uh, it would have been a 6.85 film for Burnsy there if, it, if that had happened. <laughs> uh, just on the scene in particular where he's obviously explaining to her that he's had the cancer relapse um, that, that's quite like a famous bench in Amsterdam that just gets stolen all the time so every time that a bench gets put down in that location it gets stolen um, I've been like me and Sarah went to Amsterdam went to find the bench and so it was a different one I think it's been gone changed about three or four times since since even we have been um, just some other parts of trivia I've got in there um, I'm not, there wasn't really much to gather in terms of trivia because it's all about the differences between the book and the movie, but when I say all about it, it's like his hair colour was different, his eyes were different, his height wasn't quite right. So I'll just leave all that out there. But one of the cool, coolest ones I thought, which I had no idea about, it says that William Defoe starred in Spider-Man as a Marvin, Marvel villain, Green Goblin. Shailene Woodley also starred as Mary Jane Watson in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but her scenes were cut. Aye. So she was MJ. And uh, Spider Man, the Amazing Spider Man too. There you go. That's interesting. Mm. It's, like, it's like oh, I see. That. I just literally sat and watched uh, the Amazing Spider One one the other day. Um, and the only other bit there was that Shailene Woodley with being the standout, um, the standout addition. It was because she had a, a real love for the book before she had um, auditioned for it and blew the blew the director away of how much she was into the character. Which probably ties in a lot with what we're saying about how well she played her part. That she played it really well, apart from the fact that um, she's not got her anti-aging wrinkling cream on point for Sean. <laughs> I, I, I honestly just thought that she was in her thirties. I can She looked like quite good in age for the character. Must I be saying wrong with Mina Sean's accent? Eh, accent. But to be fair, I'm, I do have glasses, so I don't know if I was wearing them when I was watching this, actually. I don't know where that was. Like. You're too busy rubbing all the tears away from the inside, and I'm sure that's what it was. You just got a bit confused. Uh-huh. Um, so I think it's a good point to come in and score this movie. We've spoken about this movie for a lot longer than what I did think we were going to, guys. So I'm quite I'm quite chuffed with how much he's given for that. Um, I've got Sarah's score here, so Sarah has given the movie a four. So there'll be the starting point. Daniel, we're going to come to you for the next score. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to get what I've got down down, and I'm giving it a one. A one. Yeah, it's just I, I sadness for sadness, sadness for. Um, I, I like it. I've watched it a few times. Uh, I'm going to go and score it as a three. Um, good movie for me. Bonzi. Um, I'm going to give it. Uh, 1.5 I think that's what I scored Star Wars and that's kind of on the same par as us so there you go oh, I'm, I, I promise myself <laughs> I wouldn't talk about Star Wars this week you don't need to you can just move on Hunter <laughs> in fact before we move on Bunsy this or No Country for Old Men oof Um just this <laughs> that's <laughs> what's up okay. Hunter? <laughs> um, it's a, the Dunter is back and I'm going for a one as well. And we'll finish it on a real positive note with a voice from above. <laughs> 0.5. 0.5. <laughs> 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 
Oh. What a horrible human being he is, eh? Horrible human being with zero point five. Burnsy, do the maths. Remember, we have got six scores this week for when you're doing your. Aye, I'm going to put that wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> that gives a one point eight three overall. A one point eight three overall, and I'll just load the leaderboard up and we'll find out where that comes in. You scroll down the bottom, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Scroll down the bottom. It's above Bridge of Spies. That's a, that's a joke. <laughs> that is a joke. It is above Glory. Above <coughs> Shutter Island. The Five Bloods. So obviously above Balladies, Buster Scruggs. And it is just below uh, Boyhood and Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. It's done well because I'll just say the scores filled it up. And Do you know what I'm going to get. Double build up. Alright, I, I would happily score it down if I didn't like it, but I, I do I do quite like it. Um so I don't know if you're telling the truth here, Kyle, I'm doubtful. I don't you like this. Are you just scared of Sarah? <laughs> I don't just like <laughs> have a nice wee cry. I I'm I'm secure enough in my emotions to cry, guys. I'm not like you guys. Well not <laughs> no tears. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I would cry if it made me sad, but it just doesn't make me sad. Uh, like, no, I definitely cried at the start of the up. I definitely cried at the start of the up when I first watched it. It's kind of like that. There you go. You watch. You cry halfway through because it was still going on. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the only thing is I'll cry at is this film, and uh, Ollie scoring the winner against Bayern Munich. Anyway, let's move on to the next movie. So, next movie we're going to talk about is Gone Girl. So, Burnsy, well, I'll welcome you first in a little second. But Gone Girl was a movie out in 2014, uh, two hours and 29 minutes long. Sean would have been happy to see. Uh, it is an 8.1 rated on IMDb, and it also is sitting 199th on the top 250 list for IMDb. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel should be higher, I think. Sit Daniel over there. Oh, my mind. <laughs> so, it says here, with his wife disappearance having become the focus of an intense media circus, a man sees the spotlight turned on him when it's suspected that he may not be innocent. And I'll give you an even cooler bit of trivia, guys. I've read this book. <laughs> I don't know why. Is that, is that trivia on IMDb? That yeah, that, that, that's <laughs> probably the, the only piece of trivia on it as well. But, Bunsy, we will come to you first. <laughs> To get your thoughts on your choice of movie. Right. Um, I First of all, when I put this in, I didn't think it had any chance of getting to be the, one of the two we watched, to be honest. I thought it was probably going out in the first round, so <laughs> it was a massive surprise to be watching this again. Um, it wasn't... I kind of had this feeling when, I, when it got selected, I really loved it at the time, and I didn't think it was going to live up to my original expectations um, it was still good, but nowhere near as good as it was first watch. But I don't think it's probably the kind of film that you would go back and watch again, um, because I think I watched it maybe a year ago, and there's not really many anything that took me by surprise. Um, and the film, I think, I think one of the Instagram followers have commented saying that Ben Affleck in the film was like dreadful. I'm sure. Um, and I completely agree. Like, the first time I didn't really, because it was one of the first films I'd sort of watched in the 80s, then I wasn't really taking in, I didn't really notice actors or actresses in terms of how good, bad, and different they were. But 
he was really poor throughout. Um, he just seems so wooden. And, like, I guess throughout the film that, although he's done so many things, he's, like, cheated on her with one of his students and he'd, like, made, obviously made her to... He was the one that made them move to a different part of America. Um, and it seemed as if he'd given up on his... He lost his job and he kind of just became, like, this person who would just sit and play video games all day. Sounds like you're a bit, Kyle, actually, but... I <laughs> <laughs> he was like even obviously he he's the one that's getting accused of murdering his wife. I didn't feel as if I never wanted throughout the full film. I wanted him to be end up getting sent down for the for the murder because it just came across really badly. I thought I don't know if um, you might have different issues when we go further on, but um, I thought Rosemary Pike as Amy she was uh, great throughout it. Um, I think it helped in terms of which we had sort of touched on about the previous film that because you were sort of given an insight into what she was doing in terms of how she how she came up with the plan of making herself disappear and obviously her husband's got no idea. Whereas for the previous one we were talking about Gus, how like you didn't you didn't, I know it's a completely different um film, but because you were you knew what was going on from start to finish, then it helped with the way the film was go, going through. Um I thought the the only things that were poor about it was the where she'd sort of disappeared and she went and met those two other the guy and the woman. That seemed to go on a bit too much. Whereas when she meets up with her old old boyfriend who she ends up killing, I thought those scenes were really good. You but she looks like a complete psycho at this point. I don't understand really how how oh, she's a complete psycho for the whole way through it. I do you know what, I'm sorry cutting here, but just one thing on her, you're, you're praising her. I could not stand her acting in this movie. Honestly. I'm the same. And she talks like this for every sentence. And she's got an Academy Award nomination oh, with the don't, back end. Don't. And we were talking earlier about uh, Gus and the Fortnite Stars, about every every phrase being a metaphor and fake and that. That's her. This is Amy. Every, every line is something that's pre-planned and fake and like her whole every sentence all the way through it just annoyed me more and more as it went on and I want to say that I disliked both of these characters equally both of them I couldn't I did had nothing to make me like Amy nothing to make me like Nick just two characters I couldn't I couldn't take to at all Sorry, I, 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 didn't, like I didn't spot her I didn't spot those the way she was acting to be fair um, but I don't know. It seems it seems as well that there's always guy actors that I hate. I don't know if I just I always see actresses as bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like the the bit where she'd obviously fake the pregnancy and then it turns out at the end that um, the killing of the ex boyfriend and then she, when she returns home covered in blood, like the, her husband obviously knows. Like I think he knows all the way through it really that she's just. He must have not seen her as a complete psycho until she actually goes goes away and then he figures out all these clues that she's done. Thing, she's actually gone completely. Um, but I I did still like the film, but there's not much else I've really got to add to it. But I just think it was the I say the two sort of big down points was Ben Affleck in it, and it was a wee bit too long. Um, 
But I don't think that I don't think there was anything they needed to add into the storyline. They could have just shortened it a wee bit because it it, one, it did sort of feel it did drag in a wee bit with her being away in the sort of campsite area. I just don't know what that really was supposed to actually do because it just seemed a bit pointless. Obviously, she lo- loses the money, but that's literally it. Like there wasn't anything else that you took yeah. took from that that I added think, to the film. Yeah, I know what you're saying. That maybe maybe shortly. I think that part was kind of crucial to her storyline though because it changed her plan so her plan was to disappear she planned to kill herself and he was going mm-hmm, to go down yeah. for it that was what was going to happen but then they have to put in the fact that she gets robbed and she has to change her plans and she decides just to kill somebody else i am um, i do think though it's kind of it's very clever in the way that it's done like it's made her out to be some sort of like criminal genius with the plan that she's had and how she was stitching everybody up and she's mm. like it's like the ultimate revenge that she's having because she feels shitty about the choices that she's made alongside her man throughout throughout her marriage. Do you know what I mean? There's, um, I don't know. She just frustrated the life out of me um, watching this, and you can you can't really sympathise with either of them. Like I don't know how to because she's just as much of an arsehole as he is, and it's probably the only things I can really add to it. Um, it is quite a long movie. I was just going to say at the ending, Kyle, it's like, that's what I did feel as well, like, kind of at the end where, where he's kind of stuck where because she's pregnant, but you're kind of like, well, you actually both just deserve each other. But you don't think that has a lot of calling to probably modern relationships where people are, are too consumed of what other people are going to think and say about them, that they're going to live this unhappy life to, to mm-hmm. appease <clears> these <throat> others and put a front onto people, because... He knows fine well that he wants absolutely not to do with her, but he's going to commit the next 18 years of his life to her because of yeah. this pregnancy. But mm-hmm. be the bigger man and actually deal with the situation and move on from it. Anyway, I'll, I'll break, let's bring some, let's take the voice from above in. I like it. Um, Full stop. Right, that. Hunter, you're next. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't really understand. I'm pretty sure that. Daniel's going to give me a list of reasons to counter this, but I, I don't really understand. What, for me, there's not really a lot to hate on in this. It's not like amazing. It's no like five out of five, absolutely tremendous. But it's it's got a good story. Obviously, it's one that you'll remember the twist no matter how many times you watch it anyway. But even knowing the twist and stuff like that, it's set out quite good that she's the victim in the first half. I, I, I agree with Bonzi. Ben Affleck's fucking shocking in this. He's the big downside. He's no believable that his his wife's went missing, and he's no believable for the fact that he has been accused of having something to do with it. When obviously he's innocent, he doesn't come across as somebody that is innocent and that wants people to think he's innocent. He's just absolutely horrible in this. But apart from that, uh, I, I liked it, and I liked it the first time I watched it, and I liked it the same time I watched it, and I probably liked it the third time that I watched it. Whenever that is. But no, it was really good. But AI, the first half, she's pretty good to be. Obviously, it's all a bit hard. You don't really know that it's part of an elaborate plan to get him basically the death penalty and stuff like that, and she's going to kill herself. Uh, and then the film just totally flips, and you just because it, there was a wee scene where he he was going out all the time, and uh, she had mentioned about 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 wanting kids, and then he pushed her against the stairs. So at that point, you know, obviously, if the first time you've seen it, or if you hadn't read the book and you know how to do it. You would think, oh, he's definitely got something to do with this, and then it just totally flips on its head. 
uh, when you see her uh, driving across the bridge and she's chucking the fence at the window. And it's like, obviously, you realise that she's alive and that it's part of her plan to get him definitely. Uh, it doesn't feel like a two and a half hour long film for me. Uh, the bit that, like, towards the end, uh, obviously, because I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that's, or I might mentioned in the film, I can't remember where I've seen it, but she's, uh, she's got schizophrenia. Is that right? I didn't notice that. Mm. Pretty sure she does. It's a, it's alluded to somewhere or I've read it somewhere, I can't remember. But that kind of ties in with the fact, obviously, because she'd accused an ex-boyfriend of eight and then she was basically doing it again to... Uh, I can't remember his name at the end. Her ex-boyfriend, but she was taking the, the wine bottle and stuff like that and acting it all out. So, obviously, she's got mega, mega mental issues that kind of... You start to find it more and more about as the film goes on. And I can even understand in, in terms of why he was pretty stable because, again, obviously it's the nationwide news in America. He was made it to be a hate figure at first, then he was loved because she came back alive and obviously he wasn't guilty. And then if he did leave her, it would effectively have just ruined his life anyway as well because he would have been absolutely hated. Uh, so I can understand that from that point of view, again, it ties in as well with him going to the, uh, the sperm bank to get his, or sperm bank, he's going to the clinic to get tested and stuff, so that's how she's managed to, to fall pregnant and stuff like that. So I just think it, kind of, it all kind of ties in. Uh, I, have, I don't know, it's just one of those films that I've seen people absolutely shit on, but I don't know, I just like it. Just to jump in a wee sec, there's Sarah put in the, in the chat here, guys, saying thanks for watching. And totally get all your opinions on it, and also understand it's definitely not a lads' film. I actually thought you were going to go in a lot harder than this, so I'm actually surprised. But thanks for letting me pick films. Right, that's what oh. she's saying. The new, but when we come off this, she'll be saying you horrible stuff that you'll be telling. Ah, there'll, there'll, there'll be voice notes galore coming to you guys, calling you names exactly. under the sun, like our standard. Uh-huh. Uh, just to just to come back into what Sean was saying there about about Ben Affleck. Uh, I, I'm actually the opposite in guys. I thought he was quite good in this. I thought he plays he, he plays the no really arsed interested man quite well. I thought he he, he doesn't love her. He's not actually arsed. He's no panicking. There's no point at the in that in the movie where you even get the thoughts that he cares that she's not there. He's probably happier if she's gone. Um, but I think that kind of comes across from Ben Affleck's character. I I took him as just being like. A guy who's totally disinterested in it, he's going through the motions because that's what you do, that's what's expected, and he's... he doesn't even go through the motions though. No, he, he was. He's, he's turning up to the stuff and he's standing there and he's saying a quick, a quick piece. So I'll come back and miss you. Cool. Sound. See you later. There's your mum and dad. They're going to talk now. And I think I think he played that pretty well. I thought that was his, the whole point of his character that he's so disengaged from her and anything to do with her that he's no arsed. Just silence after that, guys. Just <laughs> <laughs> a silence. Uh, obviously, Kyle doesn't like Rosemont Pike. Sean and Bonzi don't like Ben Affleck. I don't like a single fucking person in this film. <laughs> I like one person at least. I'll touch on that trivia later. I know, I know who you're referencing. <laughs> Just, just, just to jump in there at no, that point. No, it wasn't Emily Ratajewski because uh, Laura watches this and I don't know who that is. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read. I'm going to read out a piece of trivia. I'm going to, I'm going to read out a piece of trivia that David Fincher cast
Um, he oh, yeah. cast her on the recommendation by Ben Affleck. Uh, Fincher admitted that he had no idea who she was until Affleck told him to watch her appearance in Robin Fick's Bloodlines music video where she is fully naked. Fincher was then impressed by her work ethic during filming and uh, because according to... being codes for bangers. Anyway, so she, she was hired purely on the basis of a music video where she was wearing no clothes uh, because Ben Affleck wanted to have an affair with her in the, in the movie. This means like Ben Affleck's more No, that was even the character I liked. <laughs> Liar. It, it, it made, <laughs> when, I, when I read that, it made me think of Vince McMahon in the wrestling during the Attitude Era. <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll come. We'll come to Daniel. I honestly, I honestly think this is up there. I don't down here. This is up there with dark crimes and the last Airbender for me of the stuff we've watched. I fucking hate this. <laughs> Genuinely, I hate the first minute to the last minute of this two and a half hours, man. Like it's a. Do you know what it comes across as to me? Like a really, like a straight to DVD or like an afternoon channel five filler. With B movie actors that my mom would watch growing up, like it's just paint by numbers pish. Like I, I don't understand. <clears throat> it astonishes me that David Fincher directed this, like because David Fincher makes like amazing movies, and I, I, I just don't get it. Like I just think every character stupid. None of them are believable, and the whole premise of this film is just that women are crazy. That's essentially the whole fucking premise, and it's a bit shit. Like it's, it's a bit shit. Do you mean like? I don't know. That, that's the only thing I take away from it. I don't understand what else you're supposed to get for it. Like, it's just a woman being crazy and the guy being really relaxed about it and going, well, she's crazy, it doesn't matter. She's just fucking crazy. But... And then the whole Neil Patrick Harris character is horribly miscast. Like, that's oh, what I Like, yeah. fuck me, man. Like, <laughs> he just, like, there's nothing about him came across as any sort of believable character. Being at his fancy house and you can tell that this is, I don't know who the author is, right? But I'm assuming this is a first or second novel of this author. Um, because it's got all the sort of soaps you get in quite a lot of novels where they think it's a really clever spin and twist that they're doing, but it's just a, a, something that's been done a million fucking times. Like, oh, she actually sat and used different pens to write the diary and she only did it all in a couple of days. Like, fucking lame. Like, really shit. I, I, I don't actually have much and specifically negative to say, I just don't enjoy anything about this. Like the twist didn't surprise me. It wasn't exciting. It was wasn't enjoyed. Two and a half fucking hours, man. Like there was no way this needed to be anywhere near as long as it was. Um, I think all the acting shite, a shit flavor, a shit story, lazy. It was uh, written by Gillian Flynn, and it was her third and last book that she wrote. She had two other novels, one called Dark Places and her first one called Sharp Objects that became a HBO uh, adaptation star Amy Adams. Right, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be too... Too negative, but like, this is. I think you've said it in positive. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely one of the worst we've seen in the movie club. 
There we go. Let's bring in Hunter and his thoughts on this movie. Daniel has pretty much stolen every single bit of my thunder with that review. Oh, man. Sorry, Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> I pretty much nailed off word for word. Apart from the only difference that I had was I thought the twin sister was, if you had to pick one character that was relatable and likeable within the film it was her, pretty mm. much every single other thing that I've written down you're fucking ticked off. <laughs> I, 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 the main stick for me with some of you was Neil Patrick Harris all they've basically done is just take his character for how I met your mother and thrown it into this film with no cleave that could have been done so much better but it just did not work at all in the slightest back that, said, that being said I do like the concept of the film it's just done so bad like, I love my two crime stuff, whatever, and you kind of get a bit invested, I think, the first time you watch it, but the second time it just loses a lot, and then you realise that it's just not that good, and true crime is better reading true stories because shit like that actually happens. No, that this doesn't happen, and it never will happen, which is why reality is a lot better than this. So you didn't really have much to add to anything if anyone else is uh, <coughs> shutting this very excellently. Let me jump onto some trivia there. So one of the things we'll notice in the film is Ben Affleck's weight fluctuates massively throughout the movie. Um, this is because he was filming uh, Batman v Superman, so he goes from being fairly average built to being very muscular uh, and then back again, so it doesn't obviously match up when it goes into filming, which is a really, really poor way to direct it then, I suppose. If... Well, we shouldn't just bothered filming this one then. <laughs> Well, he should have maybe left it for the the three other people here that were considered for the role. Um, the the, the movie. Not no. Oh. The movie was originally written for Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you mentioned Tom Cruise for a part. I can never imagine Tom Cruise doing it. I like he just Tom Cruise. He's never a character, is he? I think with, with the people that are linked for the, playing the character and Nick Dunn, obviously, Ben Affleck getting it, Tom Cruise there, another two names that are in there before I give you the last one are Ryan Reynolds and Brad Pitt. So Brad Pitt apparently was incredibly close to, to taking this role. Um, they're all the same person to me. And like this, they wouldn't have played this role any differently. Ryan Reynolds would have added maybe a bit more too much, too much comedic to it. Um, but the other person on the list here that was considered was Seth Rogen. <laughs> I just don't, don't see it at all. No, I don't see that. Um, uh, and for Amy, I, I mean, Hunter touched on it earlier, so Rosamund Pike got um, a nomination for a best performance by an actress in a leading role. Um, that year's winner went to Julianne Moore for Still Alice. Um, but I, I honestly thought Rosamund was awful in it. I just couldn't take to her character at all. I'd read something that basically for the first hour they had to dub her audio and over the top, and if you've got to do that, then you're not doing your job properly, so how the fuck are you getting an Academy Award nomination? Well, <laughs> it also mentions, I, I, I never actually took a, took a note, but I remember reading that it said in the trivia that she was she was cast because of her misleading look in terms of her age. So you could think that she looks younger than what she is and older at the same time. So <laughs> depends how many wrinkles she's got there for Sean to be classed in that one. There's a just a thing called CGI you can edit that shit anyway. 
Well, well, you could, you could edit it really well. Just look at the Irishman. <laughs> well, the other names that are on the list that were um, in line before her for the character that Amy Dunn was uh, Charlize Theron, Natalie Portman, Emily Blunt, Rooney Mara, and Olivia Wilde. Can I just add something there, Kyle, as well? I read after watching the film that they said they were looking at maybe making a sequel, but it's that long ago now. I'm so sure Daniel will be happy that's not going ahead. A sequel? How do you mean a sequel to this? I don't know. I didn't actually read it. I just saw the like, I just saw like the wee paragraph. I didn't actually read and see what they were what they would plan, but well, guys, maybe, I think... maybe he faked his kidnapping the next time. Uh, gone guy. Gone guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, gone is just at the, an after party after the pub. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, guys, for this uh, top, a movie that's sitting in the top 200 of IMDb's top 250, let's get down to scoring it then. Burnsay, we'll start off with you. Um, I'm going to give it a 3.75. 3.75. Um, Sean? Uh, I'm just going to follow Bunsy and go the same, 3.75. A 3.75 coming in from Sean as well. I'm going to come in and score it a 2, with no context given after that. Hunter? Uh, I went for a 1.75 again. I think similar, I did enjoy it slightly more than this the first time I watched it. And the, obviously the sister got some brandy points for the movie, but apart from that, I think that's a very generous 1.75. I think Daniel's just left then. He's like, not had enough of these <laughs> I'm fucking gone. <laughs> gone guy. Here's part two. <laughs> hey, second half of Dunter, give us your score. Uh, 0. 0.5. <laughs> hate it. I really hate it. <laughs> As he, I think by the time we get up to 250 films, that this wouldn't be in our top 200. <laughs> <laughs> so I went a bit there, Dan. You say 0. 0.5 or 0. 0.75? 0. 0.5. He's trying to coax an extra bit out of you there, Dan. You see that? I know. <laughs> Not getting it. Right, that's a 2.35 overall. A 2.35. And that, now takes this movie above... Um, Knives Out, American Gangster, Us, 300, The Conjuring, <laughs> um, and it puts it just below The Fugitive and Up. Just below Aye. Up. So this comes in at, uh, this will be 47th on our list, guys. 47th. Oh, is, that, is that a generous scoring, Daniel? Wait a minute, so think about it this way. Like, Sean gave Terminator 2 a 4. So this is only a 0.25 less than Terminator 2. <laughs> Fuck you, man. What was it you said last week, Daniel, that you score it on the basis of the film you're watching rather than what you scored previous films before? I'm that was your own words there, I'm sure. That's how you <laughs> I'm not saying that so you shouldn't think about that when you're scoring it, but now that you have, you've got that 0.25 away to Terminator 2. Fucking mental. I'd rather watch Gone Girl, I'm honest with you. So, so you should have given it a 
at least we're consistent at being non-consistent, guys. Eh? Um, let's move on to our final movie, which is Pulp Fiction. So, Pulp Fiction, let me get the little synopsis. That was out in 1994. It is two hours and 34 minutes long, so three films over two hours this week, Sean. How did that feel? Well, considering that I hadn't watched any by Sunday, it's <laughs> been absolute murder. <laughs> Stress through the roof there. Uh, this has an IMDb rating of 8.9 out of 10, making this movie 8th on the IMDb Top 250 list. Um, it says here, the lives of two, hitmen, uh, two mob hitmen, a boxer, a gangster and his wife, and a pair of diner bandits intertwined for four tales of violence and redemption. Directed by everybody's favourite director, Tarantino. <laughs> Bunsey, you had thought you had seen this, then you hadn't seen it. Now you have seen it. Give us your thoughts. Um, I really enjoyed this. Um... It was kind of one of the ones that I had put on my list that I was hoping that it would get through. Um, I don't want to sort of go through everything because um, I'm, I think you will probably have some comments on this one to me, I would just expect. But um, for the very yeah. start, for the very start, when they were talking about foot massage stuff, <laughs> and that was <laughs> John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, I was like, oh my God, Sean's going to Tarantino to speak. But the fact that we're talking about feet massages whilst they're about to go through and shoot folk, I'm just like, how random is this? Um, and then when, when I thought John, John Travolta was brilliant in this, um, I think it's the first one, first film I've watched for him. Um, it was weird how he was like shooting up before he goes and meets his boss's wife. I just thought that was just so bizarre. Like, if he's going to be like basically being told, like, go and look after her, like, take her away, well. Well, Star away with, was away with work or something, I can't remember. Um, and then, I think I'm just, every time now when I see a Tarantino movie, when I see feet, I just, I, I notice it all the time now. So, like, you had to, he had the scene where Emma Furman's putting her sh- sh- shoes on, he's got her feet out. And then, then they go and they're barefoot dancers. Even Travolta's got his feet out. <laughs> I don't know if it's just a guy hanging on his feet now as well. Um, but anyway, enough about feet. Um it was like when uh, when when she has the overdose, um, from the point that John Travolta meets um, Emma Furman till the end of that part of the story, I thought that was that was probably my favourite part the favourite part of the film. Um, when it moved on to Butch and the Boxer, but that kind of I'd struggled with that bit to begin with because I just didn't really. I think at first I wasn't really seeing where the story was going to go. Um, just this box that's going to like intentionally put money on sale betting and then disappear but then obviously it carries on throughout um, quite far into the film and then it does actually make sense why there's all this back, backstory to it I thought a couple of weird bits about that it was like when he was when he goes back to his house to find the watch and he's obviously anchored out he's on his tail so he goes into his kitchen and makes himself some toast or whatever he makes himself it's like can I imagine if yeah, somebody's going to go away and shoot me out? I'm just going to go make myself some lunch. And then he shoots Vincent, which I was quite gutted about because I was wanting him more involved in the film. And he just leaves a gun lying there in the kitchen. It's like, if you if you can folk are after you, you don't take a gun with you to protect yourself with going forward. So that was bizarre. Um, and then I'll just skip to the ending part. I thought that the... 
the final scene in the cafe, like because obviously that's where the, where the film starts as well. I thought that was I thought that was brilliant in terms of how there was so much dialogue and it was scenes if they went on for went on for ages, but it wasn't like it wasn't some scenes go on for far too long. You think I'm going just like, actually get on with it. It was kind of I was engrossed like the full time of that. And then so one more thing I was going to say is I thought um, the guy that played Winston he just came across so cool. I thought he was awesome in it as well. Um, but no, I really enjoyed it. I don't think there was really anything that I can... There wasn't any downsides I don't to the film for me. I thought it flowed really well, even though there was kind of a mismatch of two or three different stories going, across, going on at one point. But it didn't feel as if I was ever losing my concentration or losing my place, which um, I thought I would have um, looking back at it. But it, it was it was really, it was really um, good for start to finish. I'll pass it over to Daniel because I think he's going to... He's not like he's going to say completely opposite to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm not going to say the opposite to you. Do you know what it is with this film? I've seen this quite a lot, and when I was growing up, this was like an iconic movie to watch when you're a teenager. Um, and when I first watched it, I thought this was the coolest fucking movie that I'd ever been. Like, it's so cool. Like, a lot of characters are really cool. Uh, I think this is maybe what Tarantino... It's why he's been... Push to the sort of front all the time is how dialogue heavy this is, despite there being so much action. Like most movies, you'll get to see a little, maybe 30 seconds of one thing that's going on and it'll move on to something else. Whereas you'll get a solid fucking 15 minutes of one conversation. <laughs> and I enjoy, and normally I do, I do really enjoy it. I think I've maybe just seen this too much. It doesn't give the same, it's been a few years since I last watched it, but it doesn't really have the same impact on me now. Um, but yeah, I still love the start. The start just reminds me of that fun loving criminal song more than this movie. When she when she says uh, that she's gonna kill every motherfucker last one of them in the diner. Mm. Uh, one you I love that bit. Um I'm still at the Burnsy. Uh, it loses it a bit for me with the whole butch boxer he's got to throw the fight but then he doesn't throw the fight. That's a bit of a like a, a concise story that's been done a million times. Um but then, as it comes back in, I do like it again. So I really like the opening scenes, Ezekiel, and basically the time Sam Jackson's on screen, I think that's kind of where my favourite parts of this film are. I think he's fucking fantastic. It's probably still, to me, has, he's had so many iconic parts, but this is still his most iconic film part for me still of this movie. Um, Samuel Jackson plays a better part in a lot of He's by far the thing. But yeah, no, it's good. I'm not, I don't get as carried away with it as a lot of people. I don't think it's like. Oh no, I mean, but did you say it's in the top 10 on IMDb? Yeah, it's currently 8th. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's good. It's hard to argue. I understand why people love it. Um, I'd say I don't love it, but I do like it. What do you think, John? Let's hear about the seat. <laughs> uh, I've not really got that much to say about the feet because obviously Burns has already covered it I was laughing when they were talking about the, uh, the wee kind of opening scene not the opening scene bit but when you first met uh, John Travolta and Sam Jackson they were talking about the foot massaging the ocean and stuff it's just comical he's not even hiding it anymore and when him and Uma Thurman were dancing and obviously of course she had to take her fucking shoes off why would she why would she have to wear footwear <laughs> uh, putting that to one side it's probably the one I've only seen this once before and I think I watched it first when I was like 16 and I just have always hated it and thought I absolutely detested it 
Uh, but it was probably a bit, a bit more enjoyable when I watched it the other day. Similar to you guys, I didn't had, had no care in the world for, for Bruce Willis and this. I loved John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson being together. I thought they were really good. Uh, but I, I've been quite kind of vocal against Tarantino recently and this is probably because we've done, just because we've done him to death. And I hope that this is the last Tarantino film that we get for a long time. I don't think there's that many left that we have to cover anyway. Uh, but for me, it's one of the more enjoyable ones. That we've, well, as the most enjoyable one that we've watched of his recently for me anyway. Uh, the scene where Emma Thurman's overdose and he takes him uh, to the house and and they get the... Oh, Christ, what is it? The needle with... Adrenaline. Uh, what, what's, what is it called again? Adrenaline. Adrenaline. Adrenaline, aye. Yeah, that, that was absolutely brilliant, that scene. Uh, but for the the film as a whole, I just for the bits of that I just could like leave like the box and stuff. I wasn't a fan of. I thought I would have just liked to have seen Travolta and Samuel Jackson on the screen together for for, for about the majority of the film. Where we go, but for as much as I don't really like Tarantino, it was alright. Well, <laughs> the highest praise I can give him. <laughs> Just <laughs> alright, alright. Well, it's no my cup of tea. Like, I, I, I'm, as I said, obviously I've watched more of Tarantino's films. I've seen his films before we done this, and I thought that it's something that I liked. But watching Kill Bill really, really has kind of literally sealed it for me. I just I really didn't like Kill Bill at all. There we go. Uh, just uh, touching a little bit, guys. You mentioned Bruce Willis has been mentioned a few times. So originally this movie was only cost eight million to make. Um, sorry, the movie only cost eight million to make, but the initial budget was a lot lower until Bruce Willis was then added to the cast. Um, after he'd had a string of domestic flops, he was seen as a box office draw for overseas. Um, so it says that the five million went in to pay the actors and actresses, and then the film was already profitable with a worldwide sales because of the strength of Willis's presence in it. And they made eleven million after they put his name on the posters and put it out there. So as much as he is such a strange part of it, um, he was integral to the the, the, the whole campaign for for it going forward. Uh, Bruce Bruce Willis is kind. Of, what I find for this movie is obviously it's four different stories going on in, in a jumbled up timeline, and it's I sat and looked at it today chronologically, and I prefer it chronologically when I read through it. Because Bunsy's talking about there, like when Vince, uh, when Vincent John Travolta's character gets killed, uh, he was quite gutted at that point in the film. That's literally one of the last scenes. Like that's towards the end of what happens over this three-day period yeah. that Pulp Fiction's uh, filmed over. Because it essentially should end with Bruce Willis and his missus riding off in that motorbike, and that should be the end of the film. Um, but mm-hmm. obviously, jumps back and forth a little bit. Uh, I'm very similar to Daniel in this sense, where I, I've seen this movie to death. Must be in double figures for seeing this movie. Um, it's for me in that category of movies that I can put on in the background whilst I'm playing FIFA and I can enjoy it. I don't need to pay too much attention to it with a, with seeing it before. Obviously, um, I don't know. I think again, it's these films where you like you want a little bit more of it. Like I wanted to know more about Marshall Wallace's character in the background and why he's this multi-millionaire and. I wanted to know more about the wolf. The wolf is the coolest guy in the whole film. Like he's the 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 part. No, he's on direct line adverts. <laughs> he? Oh, he was cool until he did the fucking advert. Did he, man? <laughs> it's very he says he's on the phone. He's like, I'm thirty minutes away. I'll be there in ten. 
and he arrives before <laughs> the 10 minutes and he's just flown it around the corner and he arrives in this house it's like how's that and why is that and then samuel jackson's reaction to getting told the wolf is going to come he's like oh fuck everything's sorted now like life's over like life's gravy it's great let's sit down and chill out for me that like again give me more maybe a little bit more on this um when i watch this now knowing that the crossover that's supposed to be between reservoir dogs and this movie in terms of the vegas I, I want I want more of that. I want to know more about them as a brother's set. Um, I think that would be quite cool. The part of the trivia I've got there, Mr. Blonde, a.k.a. Vic Vega, played by Michael Madsen, is the brother of Vincent. Uh, Tarantino had a spin-off film in development titled The Double V Vega, which was a prequel to these movies, but he's left it that long that he had to scrap it because they're now too old to do prequels. <laughs> CGI them, like we said. Like the Irishman. Um, I, there's loads of really, really cool, like cool scenes in this, and that, that are really, really weird. One of my favourite ones involves Bruce Willis is when they've been obviously taken in by um, the gimp and the the bad guy for the mask, and they've got all. He's going through the room picking his different weapon. To me, that's like a computer game. He's upgrading his weapon as he's going through through there and he mm-hmm. decides on the sword and he's going to come back and it's quite a, a telling bit that the one guy that he's running away from absolutely petrified from desperate to get away he comes back to save him settle his, settle his beef and it's like a quite a quite a cool moment in that sense of it where he could have just left him but he knew what was happening to, to him which I don't know what to go into detail of and uh, he's like actually I'm going to go back and I'm going to help him I'm going to kill these guys sort of thing uh, what I did find what was funny is that Bruce Willis being Probably the only non-professional killer there kills more people than anybody. Aye. Aye. But you're saying the bit you didn't want to touch on, did you mean when he was getting shagged up the arse? Is that what you were talking to, about? To, to, to put it as subtly, is that yes? <laughs> <laughs> There's a sodomisation of uh, Marcel Wallace. But then, either, like, it's, it's actually quite... That would, an imp- that would be a bad name for this film, the sodomisation of Marcel Wallace. <laughs> do you know what I always think like getting pitched that is like the Ving Rhames this is what's going to happen to you in this movie We're, you're going to be wearing this you're going to be put at a table like this and here's the, the bad guy for the mask is going to do that to you it's like he's been like <laughs> sound let's 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 crack on with that and he gets selected by a eeny meeny miny mo which to me is freaky as anything like that's a selection process and that's what happens but fair play, these guys got what was coming to them. I wanted to know, again, like, let me see Ring Rames torture this guy because he's like, I'm going to go medieval on him and stuff. And I was like, oh, sound. And then it's, that's it. It's over. Yeah. Anyway, Hunter, we'll bring you into this one, mate. Again, I am think I'm probably going to be touching things that other folk have said, but I enjoyed this film. Again, I've seen it before, but it's been a while since I'd seen it, so that was a chance to sort of enjoy it all over again. I love the whole intertwining of the stories and the timeline that look back around it. reminds me of kind of what the stuff you were told when you're doing creative writing at school. It was like start at the end there or start and work your way back and all through it. So, and I think because of the way the film timeline lapses out rather than the chronological timeline, that's how Bruce Willis's story gets lost, I think, and it loses a bit of credence because it's the ending and it's not at the end. So... I think that's why, and then the fact that the whole you end up with uh, Samuel Jackson, Don Travolta back in that carpet, I think that again steals away 
so much as well because you're like, oh shit, that is so cleverly well done. And I think possibly that's why Bruce Willis's story gets lost. And I think even then, because of the way it is, it doesn't really add anything more to it. Again, apart from the fact that maybe you've seen, obviously, Marcel Wallace's character as this big, tough, multi-millionaire gangster who's got all these guys and basically he's helpless until Bruce Willis comes. The, the fact of all that he's got in that given moment of time where Bruce Willis comes in with a sword that he's pretty much defenceless and so vulnerable and it takes for a guy who he was wanting dead 10 or however long that is because apparently that old thing happens in the space of a couple of hours where he's misses is it for pancakes <laughs> she's enjoying right. she's just upset that she's not getting blueberries and her man's just about getting sodomized I know but Samuel Jackson John DeVolta Bayf Outstander I mean this film is I mean if you're to epitomise the 90s and a handful of films, this would definitely be up there. I mean, it's pop culture, it's so quotable, the soundtrack, I mean, it's been referenced and copied so many more times over. I mean, it is genius, and possibly at, at, at its time, it's maybe not up in the upper echelons now, if you go back and compare it with the stuff that's really come out since, but it is so well done. And also, I don't know if I used to it, but you see Tarantino's character in the film, that's what I just imagined him to be like, in real life, just some uptight, posh wanker that you wouldn't get tired of the fucking punches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like, For all that he's, he's made some iconic films and characters, I bet if you were sitting down in here, I mean, I've not listened to the Joe Rogan podcast, but I bet you if you were to sit down in here conversation with me for two minutes, you'd be like, mate, just shut up, please. <laughs> I had to turn that episode off. Like he's he's unbearable. I don't really understand why he needed to put himself in the film. Like I just that pure ego fucking stuff. I hate the folk with mm-hmm. egos. He's got an ego. I think at this point it was budget. I think like I don't think they had that much of a budget for that uh, So I'm pretty sure he threw himself in there. Like he didn't cast it for himself eventually. Well, maybe he should have spoke to Jake Gyllenhaal and played himself as a dying leopard. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just jump in with some some trivia then, just to add some uh, some details in. So I've got director's trademarks here, Sean, which you'll be glad to know about. It says Quentin Tarantino, director trademark feet. Uh, Uma Thurman is barefoot for most of this movie, and the cab driver Esmeralda does not have shoes on. Is that? Fuck, I never spotted that. I'm watching it, looking out for it, because I did the trivia beforehand, and then I was like, but you don't see her feet. Like, what, what? So basically, that's just for his own personal pleasure, knowing that she's diving that car without any socks or shoes on. So he's actually made her walk in and out of the car with no shoes on just to please himself. What do you think? I'm telling you. Uh, Seeing like five years' time, time, we're going to be talking about this guy the same way that you talk about like Harvey Weinstein and all that. This guy's like an absolute beast. <laughs> Honestly, telling you right now. Nope. See on see on NBC News, they will come back and they will show this clip, and I will be a uh, I will be made famous for this. He, That's he a ticket to the next thing, man. Guys, if you'd like up. to clip that in the stream as well, that'd be ideal. <laughs> um, Harvey Weinstein. Uh, Harvey Weinstein produced this film as well. I, I, I know. Uh, Never did big massive oh,
<laughs> well, listen, guys, the word fuck was used 265 times in the movie. Um, the role of Vincent Vega was originally and exclusively written for Michael Madsen. Um, Tarantino had been working on the script for seven months, and even though Madsen knew of Tarantino's plans, he did express a desire to play it, but they then he had already signed up to play the role of Virgil Earp and Wyatt Earp. I don't even know what that is. Um, and he, so he was unable to commit to the film, so that's a decision he later regretted. But I do obviously have a list of names of people that were in there. There's actually a leaked list of every single actor considered for each role in this movie, um, which was leaked. To, and it's, but it's got like Samuel Jackson was in line for like six different roles he was considered for, and it's quite a cool list to look through. It's massive, so I've taken a couple of highlights out of it that I thought were quite interesting. Um, the role of Butch, so uh, Bruce Willis's character, was originally meant to be given to Matt Dillon. Thoughts? He was pretty young at that point. So the, he was supposed to be an up-and-coming boxer. Um, and, they, and they changed it when Bru- and offered it to Bruce Willis, who was disappointed that he wasn't offered the role of Vincent. Bruce Willis wanted to be Vincent. <laughs> So, other characters that were in line to play Butch were Sylvester Stallone, Johnny, yeah. Johnny Depp, and every, a boxer. Uh, for a boxer, and everybody's favourite, Nick Cage. Uh-huh. I think um, Mickey Rourke would have been good in that part. Yep. Uh, Give me that. Uh, the, the two ones that jumped out for Jules was Lawrence Fishburne, who's essentially I just see as Samuel Jackson version two. Just what a latest bastard. And uh, <laughs> move on to the next one. Because that happened, you've seen Samuel Jackson be interviewed about that. He gets mistaken for um, what's his face, Morpheus for the Matrix, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. He gets mistaken for him all the time. And there's a famous. Uh, I will send it in a group chat after this for him being interviewed and uh, they're asking about how he, how he did it, uh, enjoyed his being an advert at the Super Bowl the halftime advert at the Super Bowl and he's like what are you talking about? And he's like I'm not learning fish from and here's a funny story he told him Graham Norton he said he was in a Glasgow taxi he came to Glasgow on holiday he was caught on holiday and he was a taxi back to the airport and he said, the taxi driver said to you, I'm a puddle three now. He's like, what do you mean? He goes, I've had you, I've had Samuel Jackson, I've had Lauren Fishburne on my taxi. <laughs> Samuel Jackson's like, off the wit. Fuck's sake, man. That was a good advert. Come, come to Glasgow. Um, the, other, the other actor that was uh, in line for Jules was Eddie Murphy. I mean, it's hard because he, sometimes these comedic actors, they can just do it and it just works sometimes, eh? but I still can't imagine. Uh, the other actors, so Vincent Vegas, obviously I touched on Michael Madsen, um, James Gandolfini was uh, lined in there. Um, one actor that apparently was extremely upset about not getting the role of Vincent Vega outside the Bruce Willis was Daniel Day-Lewis campaigned for it. Oh, wow. Uh, but Miramax were pushing for Sean Penn to be Vincent. They all could work for me. Aye, I'd oh. say that. 
Well, good actors. And um, Daniel Day-Lewis and and this at all. Be interesting. And for Mia Wallace, um, there was Isabella Rosalini, Meg Ryan, Michelle Pfeiffer, Burnsy favourite Daryl Hannah, and the one that was originally offered before it went to Uma Furman was uh, Jennifer Aniston. Quite an easy part to play, I think. Sorry? I think it's quite an easy part to play. Well, I said that Uma mm-hmm. turned it turned it down originally. I didn't want to do it, but then Tarantino read her the full script over the phone to convince her to take the role. She probably knew that she had to get her feet out and just wanted them off the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of brings us into the, the trivia for there. We obviously touched on, um, we never touched on, sorry, the Oscar side of it. So it was a winner for best writing um, with a screenplay. It was nominated for best picture, best actor in a leading role with Samuel L. Jackson, uh, with John Travolta. Best Actor in a Supporting Role with Samuel Jackson. Best Actress in a Supporting Role with Uma Furman. Best Director with Quentin Tarantino. And Best Film Editing as well. Um, do we remember what other movies were in the Oscars for that year? I would well, assume the last movie in 94. So the... Pe- 94, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Tom Hanks was the winner for Best Actor for Forrest Gump. Did that win Best Movie as well? Best picture, just the, the, the way it does this is dead weird on here. Um, got best director, so Robert Zemeckis got best director for that. And best picture, Forrest Gump, yep. Um, yeah. Shawshank Redemption was, was in that year as well. So there we go. Uh, that brings us towards the end of Pulp Fiction. If anyone's not got anything else I want to add. There we go. Bunsey, let's start us off with your score then, please, my man. I'm giving it a 4.5. 4.5. Sean? I'm going to give it a 3. 3 from Sean. Daniel? Uh, I'm going to give it a 3.75. 3.75 from Daniel. I'm going to throw it in as a 3.5. Hunter? Solid four for me. Solid four. So, will this break into the morons toppy? Never mind being up there for uh, IMDb's toppy. Overall, it's a 3.75. 3.75. Just want to say, Sean, you scored the Gone Girl a lot higher than you did Pulp Fiction. I did. Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, I prefer Pulp Fiction with less feet. Bunsy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you say 3.75, yeah? 3.75, yeah. So f- this joins two other movies on 3.75, which are Short Term 12 and Pan's Labyrinth. So it is just behind There Will Be Blood and just in front of The Hunt, The Departed and Nightmare on Elm Street. I think that's quite low. Uh, I mean, I don't know a bit low, but... Sorry. There we go. So we're going to bring this movie into a joint 16th on our list. It's a top, top eight for, for um, IMDb. Well, that does bring us towards the end of Burnsy's week, which 
when Burns had put out his selection of movies, we were quite surprised at how, well, first of all, how diverse it was, uh, and the fact there was so many good films in there that weren't just football movies. So thank you for putting such a good list out, Burnsy. Um We do obviously still blame the Instagram viewers for selecting what wins, uh, which is always a plus point you get out of that from there anyway. Uh, so, guys, next week's movies are up on the screen right about now. So, movies for next week, if you remember from last Monday, we spun British movies. Uh, and do we remember what we've got, guys? Yeah, Train Spot and, and eight days later. There we go. Train Spot and. So, it's now week. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Danny Boyle week. So, we aren't having a Tarantino film as a. Sean will be delighted to hear as well. So these films will be reviewed next Monday. We will endeavour to make it Monday. Guys, are we adding in the Laurie's movie to this one as well? I'm Hotel Rwanda. Aye. Hotel Rwanda. We'll reluctantly hand in, and add in Hotel Rwanda to the list. Um, so guys, please get ahead of the game in the movies. Don't leave them to the last day. So that we have to watch them all at the one time. Um, so yeah, that is three movies going to be coming your way next week as well. Um, we are not, however, going to spin the wheel for what the next category is. As we are on the run up to Halloween, we are going to have two weeks specifically designed for Halloween slash horror style movies to be out there. Um, we are going through a list at the moment. Daniel has got a comprehensive list of movies to cipher through. There's an awful lot there, isn't there? Uh, there's fucking loads. But, uh, as it stands, I think we're going to have some non-scary stuff in there and then try and separate it out into different types of horror movies. Because last time we ended up with Insidious and The Conjuring, which are both very similar, I think, for me. Um, so we'll try and split it up and get some different styles in there. Just hocus pocus. That's it. That's all we need. Hocus pocus. <laughs> Looking at one category, I think hocus pocus and Ghostbusters. Will, will, that'll be tight because they're both well loved. But there's a lot of a lot of very good stuff in there. Well, that's it. So the next two weeks after this one are going to be Sean's favourite. He loves a scary movie. Um, <laughs> so we will get on to them, guys. We are now an hour and a half into the stream tonight, and a lot longer than what we typically do. Um, obviously, we're having a third film. does help that. We are going to, however, end the stream just now. We will send you across to a 